How are you doing? Hmm. Everybody goes, hmm. I want you to process this a second. When you think of the most um, important part of your faith, I think most of us would agree the most important part of our faith is sharing our faith. When you think of the eternal implications of what we believe, um, about the afterlife, about being with God, not being with God, about being forgiven, not being forgiven, about God's mercy versus God's judgment. I mean, all the foundational thoughts and beliefs about our faith. To have it, to begin with, is the most important thing, and to have it means somebody shared their faith with you. And so I think we would say, yeah, I could see a lot of heads nodding. Yeah, most important part about my faith is sharing my faith. Now we go to the next part. If we're honest with ourselves, most of us don't share our faith. Even though we know the eternal implications. If we're honest with ourselves, now there's some of you that do on a regular basis, so roll with me here. You don't even need to pay attention. But for the rest of us, if we're honest with ourselves, when was the last time we really shared our faith with a non-believer? And we'd probably go, hmm, not really. Yet we believe it's the most critical thing. So, so what's the miss there? And we would come up with reasons why. Well, I'm afraid to do it. Feels awkward. It's intimidating. Yeah, but the eternal implications, really? But we come up with those reasons, and therefore we don't do it. And I wonder... If the reason we don't do it, it's so important, and the reason we don't do it is because we don't know how to do it. And maybe it has to do with our approach. We approach it potentially in all the wrong ways, and therefore we don't do it. So we're going to take some lessons, some tips this morning, arguably the person who could share his faith the best, Jesus himself. I've entitled this morning's message, Sharing Your Faith, How to Apply a Jesus Approach to Evangelism. How to Apply a Jesus Approach to Evangelism. This will be part one as we look at this topic because we come across it in our study through the Gospel of John. We're going to be looking at John chapter 4, verses 1 to 14 this morning. Now, if you are with us last week, you know we were in John chapter 3, and we were seeing a dynamic take place. We know that the forerunner for Jesus was John the Baptist. He was preaching, he was leading people to faith, and he was baptizing them. That's why we refer to him as John the Baptist. We also know, as we studied through John, that Jesus now arrives on the scene. John actually baptizes him, and so he had that supernatural event. And now Jesus is out and about, and baptizing people, or specifically his disciples are baptizing people, and Jesus is preaching. So you got two camps. John's still full force, preaching, baptizing. Jesus, full force, preaching, baptizing. We looked at this last week. And how people were starting now to leave John and go over to Jesus, which concerned John's disciples. 
Like now they're going to that church, right? And we looked at this whole idea of spiritual competition and how we can fall into those traps, church versus church, my church, your church, all those kinds of things and how it's super important to be aware of that because it can lead to envy and all these kinds of things. So we looked at that last week. But we pick up kind of at the tail end of that story in chapter four, verse one. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. So the, the shift was taking place. If you remember, John said, I must decrease, he must increase. So it was all about the Lord. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples, but Jesus was clearly preaching. And when the Lord learned of this, what this, that he's gaining, and the Pharisees were hearing about it, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So clearly we know that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, did not care for John's ministry. And ultimately he got arrested and executed. But, and so now more people are going to Jesus Pharisees are going, you think John was bad, Jesus is going to be worse. So probably for safety reasons, Jesus is going, let's get out of here. Let's go north to Galilee. Okay? Verse 4. Now he had gone through Samaria, Jesus and disciples, gone through Samaria. That's, by the way, the shortest route to Galilee. I'll show you in a second. Um, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of the ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Okay, so sixth hour, hard to determine, Roman time, Jewish time. Uh, Jewish bases it usually off the light, and, and Romans is high noon or midnight, probably wasn't 6 a.m. because he was tired, so it was probably in the evening, been traveling. By the way, that journey from from Jerusalem or from the area that he was going from is about a three-day walk to the Galilee. And so he was tired, and he um, stopped at Jacob's well. Uh, Jacob's well was a piece of land. If you go back to the patriarchs, which Jacob owned, and he, he put a well there, and the Samaritans were big on Jacob. So let me, um, let me give you a, a little history, bear with me, because I think it's going to add context to what we're looking at. Let's talk a little bit about the Samaritans versus the Jews. So if you roll the clock back to about 1000 BC, you don't have this distinction. You have 12 tribes, okay, 12 tribes of Israel. And you have King Solomon, who is the king over the entire land. Towards the end of King Solomon's reign, he started taxing people in ways that they didn't like, especially in the north, which were where most of the tribes were. You had the south, Judea, but you had the north, Israel, where most of the tribes were, they broke off. And now you have this separation of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. That was about 750 BC, okay? I think we got a map here. So you can see the north is called Israel, it's in the green, and the south is Judea, I don't know, or Judah, I don't know if you can tell, but you can see that Jericho's kind of on the border, and you can see where the Galilee is way up above. Okay, so you got the northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Now, do you remember Nebuchadnezzar and how he took over the southern kingdom, right, and took everybody to Babylon? The same thing happened in the north, except it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar, it was the Assyrians, and it happened actually before Nebuchadnezzar. So you have this kind of parallel thing going on. You got the north, 
who were captured by the Assyrians, taken captive, and they basically would leave the poor because they weren't productive in their new land. And you have the south, that took place in the 700s. You have the south that took place in the 500s, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar took the Jews. The difference between those two is the south were released to come back to Jerusalem. The north, those captives were never released. They just inbred with the culture and ultimately kind of started fading back over the years. So you have a group of people known in the north as the Samaritans. They're Jews, but by now, because of generations later, they've intermarried. Now they embrace the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the books of Moses. That's why Jacob is their huge patriarch, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So they stop there. But here's where the divide really hit. When the south was brought back or, or sent back or came back to Jerusalem, they were going to rebuild the wall in the temple. Remember? Ezra, Nehemiah, all that stuff. Okay. The north, Assyrian says, we'll help you. We'll help you rebuild our temple because we were once united. And the south said, no, you're polluted. So that ticked them off. They're like, it's over. So you got this big split. So what happened is the south rebuilt the temple, the wall, all that stuff. The north built their own temple in Gemiserine, another mountain, and had their own practice and their own separation. Okay? So that's what took place. And so this animosity goes way back. Now, at the time of Jesus, there is no northern kingdom and southern kingdom. It's just overall Israel, but you got the Galilee, you got Samaria, and you got Judah. Rome rules over everything. You with me? Okay. So Jesus, you can tell, is coming from the south, and, and right when you hit green, you're into Samaria, culturally speaking. And again, politically, they weren't separated anymore by the time of Jesus, but he's got a long way up to Galilee, but you can tell going that straight up versus out and around and all that is the quickest way. So I give you this because there's a dynamic that is going to take place because look what happens now in verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water at the well, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food, so they're probably on day one of their three-day travel. They need groceries. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Okay, so she's bringing in history here. She's struck by the oddity of this encounter. So it's also important to know, culturally, Jewish men would never talk to Jewish women in public. That's, that was a Jew thing, okay? Wasn't even a Samaritan thing. It was just like, you just don't do that. And clearly, somebody like a rabbi, who Jesus would have been viewed as, uh, would never have theological discussions or spiritual discussions with a woman in public. So right there you got what's going on. But now she's a Samaritan. Now, as we know, Samaritans and Jews don't like each other, don't interact with each other, don't even talk to each other. And Jesus is asking for what? A drink of water. 
Something tells me he didn't have his own canteen and supply cup. So what he's asking her to do is, will you draw me a drink of water and I'm gonna use your cup? That right there would be defiling. For a Jew to use, drink from or eat from any utensil that a Samaritan, and she knew this. She knew this, that's why she's going, what are you doing? What are you doing? Now, this is before any spiritual discussion has taken place. But it's a super important point that you don't want to just blow through and go, yeah, they had their problems, but okay, uh, you know, God loves them and move on. There were a lot of cursorial pushbacks and barriers that Jesus passed through here to have this, just to have this discussion. There are a lot of reasons that he could have used of why the discussion should not take place. But he didn't. He didn't do that at all. It didn't matter to him. Why? Because for the Lord and for God, everyone matters. And so this is super important. When you're talking about using a Jesus approach to evangelism, number one in your outline, don't pre-qualify people. Don't pre-qualify people. And we can do that when we talk about sharing our faith. We can have our prejudices, our discriminations, who we wanna share with, who we don't wanna share. We can have our assumptions, who might receive what we're gonna say, who might not receive. And, and we can categorize, distance ourselves, and before you know it, we never into a conversation because we've had this, these kind of filters that we put over them. Oh, he's a hmm, or she's a hmm, and they come from this place, and before you know it, we're not talking to anybody about anything because we've prejudged the situation. We've qualified people. It's kind of spiritual discrimination. Who needs the Lord? Everybody, regardless of how you look, regardless of your political affiliations, regardless of your cultural aberrations, everyone needs it. But we can have those filters that come in and go, no, not talking to that Samaritan woman. Like how Paul put it, when we study through Colossians, look what he says in Colossians 3.11. He's talking about church. He says, here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, we're called not to have discrimination once we're Christians, that we don't make those cultural distinctions, the haves and have-nots and approachable, unapproachable. Why would it be any different on the front end? I think this is, um, you know, and this, this is deep. And, and Jesus was always dealing with this, by the way. Remember the parable or the story of the Good Samaritan? Remember that? Remember the discussion? A religious leader came to Jesus and said, you know, what's the most important thing to God? And love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, love your neighbor as yourself. And he's going, hmm, define neighbor. And then Jesus gives a story about the guy that got beat up and thrown on the side of the road and Religious leaders passed him left and right, didn't want to talk to that robber, that criminal, that whatever, and then how a Samaritan stopped and took care of the guy and 
put him in a place to recover and paid for it. And then he looked at that leader and said, who loved his neighbor? And the leader couldn't even mention the name. He said, the one that had compassion. Can't say Samaritan, because they're jerks. They're dirty. They're sinful. They're filthy. And we all have those filters. They're dirty. They're sinful. They're deceived. They're wrong. Yep. A lot of Samaritan women who need Jesus. It's so deep, though. I was, I was, I was really thinking about this, this last week. I was on a plane with my wife a few days back. And it was one of those, you know, inexpensive airlines. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, you know, seats do not recline. You know what I'm talking about? Everything's extra. I mean, if you had a tattoo, they'd probably charge you for extra baggage. They'd say, that's, that's extra, you know. And, and so to get your seat assigned is almost twice the price of the ticket, right? So, we're, so it's me and my wife, short flight, hour and a half. We're not going to get the seat assigned, but you want to go to the gate. You know, I did at least. Hey, can I sit next to my wife? Where do you got us? Because if I don't sit next to my wife, then I got to sit next to somebody else. And that would be bad. <laughs> that would be awkward. Why do we do that? I mean, if you really nut it down, I'm gonna see my wife before and after the flight. Wouldn't it be better to sit next to somebody you don't know? No, because then you gotta talk or not. You ever sat on a flight for three hours and you get off and you never talk to that person, never got their name, don't even have a clue who they are? See, what I'm bringing up is we are adverse to conversations that could be so normal. It could be so normal. So I'd rather sit next to my wife. Well, where's the opportunity for sharing my faith? I, I know my wife, she knows me, we share the same faith. Just to even say hi, we're like, <laughs> it's weird, isn't it weird? That pushback, that, 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 that. Now, some of you are all about talking. Some of you have no problem with this. Some of you are going, what are you talking about? You're weird, Mark. When I get on a flight, I say hi to my neighbor. Great. Then you're already past point one. You're ahead of all of us. Point two, you can have some application. But point one, you're there. So good, good for you. My wife's really good at it. She literally will not sit down next to anybody and not say hi. And before you know it, they're off to the races. And she's had so many encounters. Before you know it, she's praying with the gal. Before you know it, you know, she's helping her and she's getting a, that lady's getting a divorce. They're getting, changing phone numbers. And have you ever had somebody be nice to you when you sit on a plate? They say, hi, what's you? Have you ever been like, oh, stop it? No. <laughs> It's normal. You're like, wow, that's cool. You can maybe meet a friend, you know. So, not that the plane is the only place, but 
Talk about a place. Think about the different things you go to. We went to a concert. My wife sitting to my left. I have no idea who that dude is. <laughs> Isn't it weird? And you know, we're boop, 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 and he's boop, boop, boop. Now he was great, and so I felt humbled. He goes, be honest with me. He goes, this concert starts at nine o'clock. Don't you feel like it's past your bedtime? <laughs> and before you know it, we're laughing and talking, and, and, and now it's not this. It's like, whoa, what's up, you know, right? Because we're, 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 it's something there. So this is really a simple point that just says, be conversational with people that you encounter. I mean, but we're so wired. Like I remember my youngest son, he was a waiter for a number of years and we'd go out to dinner and I remember he kind of changed my perspective on it. Um, we're out to dinner and a waiter comes up and says, hey, uh, good evening, uh, can I get you something to drink? And I'm like, yeah, can, can we get some round of waters? Sure. Goes away. My son's flabbergasted. Dad, you're so rude. What did I do wrong? I mean, you didn't even say hi. You're right. I didn't. He asked for waters and I gave him an answer. He said, why don't you be a little more relational? Hi, how you going? What's your name? Da, 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 da. This is coming from a waiter. See, it's a good point. He asked for water, or he asked me what I wanted to drink. I said, water, I figured that was a good thing. No, it wasn't relational. It wasn't conversational. I don't know that waiter. And there's another thing. Do you know that waiter any better than when you start than when you end? Unless you talk and have a conversation and find out and explore. So we need to do a better job at that. At a minimum, Christians should be the conversational people, the nice people, the ones in the concert that introduce themselves, the one that's on the plane that don't keep that thing. That's why we tell you, hey, say hi to your neighbor, because we can even come to church and leave and never interact with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's cultural. It's a pushback. And think about it. You'll never be able to share your faith if you're not talking. So it's a pretty basic. So can we be more conversational this week? How about that? Pretty simple. Stop and pause and say hi to that person in the grocery store. Stop and pause and say hi to that person, whatever situation you're in, however you're interacting. How can you ask me for a drink, she says. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Those wells were about 100 feet deep. What can, where can you get this living water? Okay. Kind of having a Nicodemus moment, a little bit, right? Must be born again. Nick goes, how do you get back into your mother's womb, Right? But I will defend her in terms of living water was a reference to moving water, like a stream or a river 
or how the water tables worked at the bottom of the well. And so she's thinking, he's saying, I want some of that living water, or you're gonna, he has some of that living water to give, which is down at the bottom of the well, and you don't have anything to draw from. So how are you gonna pull that one off? So she's thinking very practical. Then she does deal with one of Jesus' comments when Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God who, who is asking for a drink, she said to him, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as he did his sons and his flocks and his herds? Remember I told you, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, huge patriarchs. And she's hearing him talk about being a gift from God and she's going, are you saying you're greater than Jacob? And look at Jesus' response. Everyone who drinks this water from Jacob's well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Hmm. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So notice Jesus didn't get in the weeds with her. He didn't even mention Jacob. He, he didn't correct her. He didn't say how she doesn't understand her Old Testament because it's only limited to five books of the Bible. He gave her a chance to talk. He gave her a chance to express, but he changed the focus. Super subtle, but he changed the focus. And what was the focus? He went from wanting a drink of water to using these words, eternal life. What did he do? He shifted the focus of the discussion. So when we talk about a Jesus approach, yeah, don't pre-qualify people, be conversational, be open, but number two on your outline, look for spiritual connections. Look for spiritual connections. If you're looking for places where you can talk about the Lord, your faith, spiritual things. God will open those doors. And this isn't about making it awkward. This isn't about forcing an issue. This is just about being aware of spiritual connections to daily life discussion. And this is what Jesus was expert at. He would talk about being the bread of life. He would talk about living water. He would talk about um, light versus dark. Uh, he would talk about uh, lumber, plank eye, remove the plank, sawdust. He would talk about the temple, destroy this temple in three days it'll be raised. He, he would even launch off what was a religious practice called Passover and do a spiritual connection of what? Communion, which we now do. He would take what was known and then launch into spiritual discussions and applications about what is known. It was something he did very, very often with sheep and shepherds and all this kind of discussion. <laughs> so back to that flight. We did end up sitting kind of together. I was on an aisle, she was on an aisle. So we had that, and then we both had people on both sides. 
And uh, we're coming into Orange County Airport. Now, Orange County Airport, you're kind of clipping the heads off cars, you know, when you're landing. I mean, you're getting pretty low. And you're watching and trying to recognize, you know how it is, right? How many landed in Orange County? You kind of look for buildings that are familiar. Are we over the freeway yet? And then you're kind of getting over the freeway. And you're going, okay, you know. But he was coming in hot. I will say, I was watching him like, holy moly, he's coming in hot. And we're still pretty kind of high. And you're watching jets like wait for us. And it's like, is he going to put this thing down? So anyway, he put it down-ish. Um, you've all experienced like a hard landing, like a boom, and you kind of go, ooh, and then it's like, right, right? You know what I'm talking about. They put on those brakes, and you're kind of glad you have a seatbelt on during that time. This wasn't a hard landing. This was boom, like literally, are we going to lose the landing gear kind of hit. So it was boom, and it was like, oh no, and then all of a sudden, acceleration, and just start taking off again. And and it was kind of like, everybody's, my wife's looking at me, I'm looking at her, and it's like, was that a near miss? Did we almost hit a plane? What just happened? Because it ain't normal. We didn't pray for two round trips, right? And, and then it was this weird, okay, so you know how you take off, and you take off Orange County pretty steep, and then you go out over the thing, and now we're above the clouds. And it's like, is anybody going to say anything here? <laughs> You're kind of waiting. And literally five minutes went by, and I'm thinking, is this guy going to act like nothing happened? <laughs> Circle around and land the plane and just stay in the cockpit and not say goodbye to people? Is, is that going to be his approach? Because... <laughs> What just happened? And so about halfway on the circle back, he said, yeah, uh, hey, everybody, uh, we had a little bounce there. And, uh, and the runway is a little short, so uh, we're going to circle back around. So we'll, we'll be on the ground in six minutes. Something tells me if we had more time on that flight, we could have had a lot of spiritual connections <laughs> with conversation. There would have been a lot of opportunity at a minimum, I could have just said, man, I was praying because of blah, 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 blah. That's all. You know, you could look at, have you ever thought of dying before on a plane? Right? There's an opportunity. It's not like you're going, it's not like you're just grabbing it out of the air. It's like, it's right there. So I'm just saying, all I'm saying is those opportunities are there if we are aware. They don't have to be forced. And if there's no opportunity, then don't take it, you know. I mean, Jesus started with a simple discussion. Can I have a drink of water? But then he saw it going. She brought up the, what, Samaritan? She brought up those spiritual differences. She brought up the, 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 the uniqueness of Jacob, and, 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 the, and then he's following it. Notice Jesus wasn't, and here's the deal. Jesus wasn't combative. He wasn't argumentative. He didn't say, your view of Jacob's all messed up. Yeah, I am greater. He let her process. He let her go through her thing. Think about it for a second. And this is a challenge I have every week. You guys don't know this, but I'm going to just say it straight up. You all have a worldview. You all have a perspective on life that for you is right. 
And so you've gotten that worldview by how you were raised, the experiences you've been through, and what you've been taught. For you to change that worldview isn't gonna happen like that. It's gonna be a process. Just like it was a process to get the worldview, it'll be a process to let go, change, alter your worldview. And honestly, if pastors believe that every sermon people are just gonna do that, they're deluded and they'll be super frustrated because people have to go through a process. And same with us. When we're talking about spiritual stuff, she kind of pushed back. Are you saying you're greater than Jacob? He didn't get combative. He didn't say, yeah, I am. Mm -hmm. And if you Samaritans would get past your first five books of the Bible, you might get a little insight into me called Isaiah 53 and the coming Messiah. Boom, see ya, right? <laughs> she, he didn't do any of that. He just let it keep going. It's not about being right. It's about listening, asking questions, learning. That's why that alpha group, by the way, plug for that, is a great group because it's not about correcting somebody's view. It's about giving somebody a space, a safe space to share that view and to talk about it and interact with it in an honest way, not a judging way. And I'll tell you what, I've led alpha groups and I've been in them and one of the hardest things in alpha, and I just call it tying your hand behind your back, is not jumping in and trying to provide all the answers. Somebody says, well, I really struggle with, well, yeah, but the answer, you know, no. Just let it go, let it process out. Then the safety is built. Then, then the freedom to think is built versus now I'm battling you. So, examples of spiritual connections. Could be something so simple. Move into your neighborhood. Neighbor comes over. Hey, how you doing? Just want to welcome you to the neighborhood. Great. So you've been here long? No, we just got here two days ago. Where'd you come from? Oh, I came from Lakewood, California. Yeah, relocated here. And the friends and, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, well, we came here from da 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 yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so why this neighborhood? Well, it was really kind of, we were just praying about it. And all of a sudden, then you give the story of the realtor and how you got the listing. One little spiritual connection. And it's true. You're not making it up, hopefully. Don't make up spiritual connections. Uh, but that's that one little comparing about it. Huh. Praying. You never know. It could be a discussion about feeling God's leading in your life. It could be a discussion about praying about something. It could be a more direct connection like the plane and talking about Whoa, that was freaky. My wife was looking at somebody else and they were both going, Whew, right? If they'd have been sitting next to each other, there would have been a full discussion going on there. Like I'm thinking this is it. You never think this is it. Nobody ever thinks this is it when it's it, right? Everybody gets on a plane that ever crashed didn't think, oh, I'm getting on a plane that's gonna crash. And yet it is and so, wow, that kind of makes life short. What do you think? Before you know it, you're off to the races. Hmm. 
So it's not complicated. Being conversational. And if the Lord opens opportunities for spiritual connections, just making those. There's more, and we'll get, we'll get into the more. For some of us, <laughs> so at our house, on the right side, we got the lawn. So if you're in the house and you're looking at the street, you got the lawn, and on the side of the porch, there's this uh, bush area, uh, flower bed area that's been there 30 years. And so my wife says, I'd really like to make that lawn and not that stuff. Well, that's great. Until you take a shovel and you get down and you go like one inch and it just stops. And you're realizing all these roots, all these meshing of hair roots. It was just, it was like rototill. Went to the rototill guy to rent. He goes, oh, if you got roots, you kind of need an ax. This will be a waste of time for you. Okay, great. What do I do? Eh, just a pickaxe. So I'm out there pickaxing, feeling like I'm on the railroad, you know, in the 1800s, just yuck and yuck and yuck. It, it's great now. It's all dug up. It's all fertilized. I want to roll in it, you know? But I'm telling you what, that next day, I was so sore. I had muscles. I, need, I couldn't even sit down on special places. <laughs> it was like, you know, still to this day, it's like three days later, I'm dying. I woke up muscles I've never used. And here's the reason I bring that up is you're gonna wake up some things you've never done before here. And so it may be a little sore at first. But think about it, how easy this is. Talk to people. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And you'll meet all kinds of people. And this, I'm preaching myself too. So this isn't like you guys start talking to people because I don't know what is. And then those spiritual connections. Be aware. Be aware. Those are gonna, they're going to feel supernatural. Literally. They're going to feel natural and they're going to feel supernatural because you're going to say, wow. And you're going to have a decision. I will say this, you're gonna start talking to somebody, you're gonna hear an opportunity for spiritual connection and the enemy's gonna say, don't take it. Don't take it. Don't be that weirdo. Don't be that goofy person. Don't be, because they're not gonna take it and they're gonna look at you now forever and they're gonna, and all these assumptions kick in and we pull back and we're sitting here three months later saying, so we know the most important thing about sharing our faith is sharing our faith. How many of us are doing it? And we're all saying, still not doing it. So exercise some of those muscles. Lord, I pray that, um, first of all, it's just really, um, we don't honestly get the cultural pushback that you would have felt with this woman but we know the pushbacks we feel in daily life we can have a lot of Samaritan women or men in our lives where we resist talking and ultimately Lord we'll resist sharing about you and Lord we know that the mission field is right outside these doors in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, on our vacations, on planes, 
in concerts, at the grocery store, in restaurants. Where will we go, Lord? Help us at a minimum to be Christians that are nice people, conversational people, and engage with others. And Lord, I know you'll be faithful to provide those spiritual opportunities. But if we don't talk, we can't share. And if we don't see those opportunities, they won't be spiritual. And so, Lord, give us wisdom. I pray for breakthroughs this week, even this afternoon, whatever our plans are, that we'll keep these things in mind and be more effective and be those workers that are willing to enter into the mission field, the most important thing, and present Jesus. We have the blessing to wake up every day with the hope of heaven and knowing a lot of people don't. So, Lord, help us to be your tools, your mouthpiece, your touch of love. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.